Uh, let's go ahead and get into our series this morning. And uh, some of you say, like, well, now you're going to be long-winded. Well, I got you for lunch, so we're good. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're going to get right into it. The, the 11th hour, uh, this is our end-time series. I started it last week, and, uh, and, and for the next few weeks, we want to be looking at what's going on in our world. Are we living in the end times? And today we'll be talking about a thief in the night, a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse number 1. Now, this is very important. Notice, notice how Paul writes here. He said, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, that's us, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But then notice this. But you, brethren, that's us, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, this morning, now last Sunday I began this series talking about the rapture of the church. Now, uh, the rapture of the church is our blessed hope. It is the hope of the church and the joy of the church. And of course, uh, when I talk about the blessed hope and the joy of the church, I'm talking about the rapture of the church. Now, this morning, I want to, before we jump into the tribulation and some of those things that the Bible really describes, I, I want us to expand on the idea of the rapture, okay? Uh, and, and let me just interject this here. Uh, a lot of people shy away from prophetic themes. Uh, the, the theological term is eschatology. It's a study of the end times. When you start talking about it, there are a lot of people that say, well, Pastor, I, it's confusing. I mean, when you start talking about this and the locusts the size of horses and, and, and all kinds of things, the, uh, it's just really confusing. Uh, here, here's, the, here's what I want to say to this. If God has given us a Bible with 65 books that we can all understand, now, now, before you gasp that I don't, a preacher don't know how many books are in the Bible, I understand. I'm getting to a point. If God has given us a book of 65 books in the Bible that we can understand and we can read and relatively make sense of, then why would he put one in there that we do not understand? So what I want to say is that there is a blessing that comes when we start reading the end time things. When we start reading the book of Revelation, we start talking about the book of Revelation, the Bible pronounces a blessing upon those people. And it's very important, as I said last week, that we talk about end time things because it helps us to keep our focus. If we're not careful, we can get caught up in all the peripheral things going on in our lives and miss out on what God has actually called us to do. Today, the church is laden down with distracted believers. We've got so many things, irons burning in the fire and so many things going on that the, the you know, the Bible, one of, there's one story, and I don't, I don't want to chase this rabbit, there's one story where the Bible says that Jesus would not, would not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. I want you to think about that a minute. You know, can, uh, you know I, I did a sermon on that years ago, and the title of my message was, Can God Depend on Me? And that, that's, that's something to think about. And, and so we need to study end-time events because we need to know it, it should motivate us. Number one, it should motivate us to do the work of the evangelist, is what the Bible says. It should help us in living with a world that's gone nuts. Have you ever wondered what's going on? I mean, you ever turned the news on or picked up a magazine or a newspaper and you read some of the headlines and you thought, you scratch your head like, what in the world is going on? 
Well, the end times of the Bible gives us the answers to these questions. This morning, as I expand on the idea of the rapture, if you missed last week's message, let me just tell you what the rapture is. The rapture, and I'm a pre-trib guy. I told you last week there are some people that are pre-trib, there's some that are mid-trib, and there's some that are post-trib. I, I believe the biblical evidence is for a pre-tribulation rapture. It just means that there is a time when Jesus comes in the clouds to meet those who have died in the faith, and those who are still living. will be. Paul said they will be called up together in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so shall they ever be with the Lord. Now, at the rapture, now I want you to think about this. They, they estimate that right now on planet Earth, there are just over 2 billion Christians, right around 2 billion Christians, okay? So, so when the rapture takes place, imagine the confusion and the bewilderment that hits the Earth when all of a sudden, in the twinkling of an eye, 2 billion people disappear, Okay? Uh, again, we don't think much about it, but this is, this is what the Bible describes, how it unfolds in the future event. So, so think about all the confusion that is going to grip the earth when the church is raptured. Those in power at that time are going to have to struggle to make sense of this massive disappearance on a global scale. And they're going to come up with all kinds of bizarre things, trying to explain away two billion people being taken out in, a, in an instant. Now, at this time... Uh, believers who have been raptured are going to appear before what we have talked about. I've talked about it before. It's called the Bema of Christ. What that means in, in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bema of Christ is the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? This is not a judgment unto salvation. If you are there at the Bema, you're saved. The Bema of Christ is a judgment of believers. The judgment seat of Christ is where you and I as believers will be judged based on and rewarded based on the work that we do here. Do you know that you were created? I, I tell people all the time, you were created on purpose, with purpose. Amen? Every one of us has an assignment. And so when we stand at the beam of Christ, that is where we are judged on fulfilling our assignment. And our works will be bare, laid bare, and those that, are, that pass the muster will be rewarded. Those that, will, that don't, they will be burned up, is what the Bible says, but yet we still are saved. So, so that's kind of a little bit uh, there. So here's the thing. There's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. I had a question this week. Pastor, what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Well, let me give you a couple things. Number one, in the rapture, Jesus is only seen by the believers. At the second coming, the Bible says, every eye shall see him. So there's a difference. In the rapture, Jesus doesn't come to the earth, but he meets the believers in the air, in the clouds. At the second coming, Jesus comes to this earth. In fact, the Bible says he comes and he steps on the Mount of Olives and he establishes his millennial kingdom, which will reign for a thousand years. In the rapture, only those who are born again will be, um, will be affected. At the second coming, the entire world will be affected. Prior to the rapture, and this is a big thing right now because we see this happening. Prior to the rapture, the world is going to be caught up in this mantra of peace and safety. You think about where we are today. You think about, again, we showed the video of our trip to Poland. The reason we went there is because we have the war going on between Russia and the Ukraine. We have displaced peoples. So people are saying we've got to figure out how to bring peace particularly before the winter sets in there in Europe. So how do we bring them to the table? How do we bring and, and, and 
broker peace between these warring nations. It's not just there. We talk about peace in the Middle East. We talk about peace in the Congo and other parts of the world. How do we do that? So right now, prior to the rapture, there's going to be a conversation about peace and about safety. But listen to me. At the second coming, that won't even be a thought. Because at the second coming, the world will be engaged in what you and I know as the battle of Armageddon. It will be all-out warfare when Revelation 19 is fulfilled, when Jesus comes back riding on that white stallion with a name written on him that no man knows but he himself. That's what's going on. That's the difference. That's the difference. So what I'm telling you this morning is that you and I should be excited about the return of Jesus Christ. It is the hope and the joy of the church. Now, again, last week I mentioned that we should stop looking for signs, and we should start listening for the sound. Paul said that at the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise. So so we've heard it. How many of you have heard Jesus is coming before? I'm I'm 56 years old, okay? I've I've, I've heard it all of my life, and, and, and people say all, and this is what Peter said. He said, hey, there'll be people that will come in the last day, and they'll say, hey, where is this coming? You guys have been saying that all, I've heard that all my life. My answer to that is, I'm 56 years closer than the first time I heard about it. (laughs) Right? I'm 56 years closer. He's coming back. And and one of the reasons we say that, why do we say that he's coming back? Well, uh, again, every generation has believed that they were the generation that would see the return of the Lord. But we say that because God has factored in this book right here signs that let us know that we're living in the last days. Do you understand this morning that uh, God has given us warnings in advance of his return? That's why Paul said, hey, you're not of the darkness, you're not of the night, you're children of the light, and you shouldn't be surprised by this. You shouldn't be overtaken with his coming because he's given us the ev- all the evidence right there. Revelation 19, 11 tells us that when Jesus comes, he's coming to do what? He's coming to judge and to make war. That's what he's coming for. And God always warns before he pours out his wrath. I mean, think about this. Noah. Do you know how long Noah preached about the judgment to come? 120 years. For 120 years, God used Noah, the the preacher of righteousness, as he's described, to warn them of impending judgment. Think about, uh, you, you think about Jonah. Well, think about Abraham. Abraham was... He, he warned Sodom and Gomorrah about the judgment to come. Then you think about Jonah. God sent him to Nineveh to tell them of the impending judgment. And 150 years later, he sends the prophet Nahum back to them, always warning them. You know why he does that? You know why God includes warnings in judgment? It's because according to 2 Peter chapter 3, God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. Please understand that, that God is not willing. Why does he delay his return? I mean, in this whacked-out world that we live in, why does Jesus delay his return? That verse right there, because God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. His heart is the lost people. That's why he left the word to the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Why? Because he's concerned for the lost. Why did Jesus die? He died for the lost. They mean something to him. You've heard me say this for years. Every every one of these empty chairs represents a soul for whom Christ died and we're charged with reaching. That's a sobering thought. Every empty seat in the building is a soul, represents a soul that Christ died for and that we should be working on. You know, God has warned the world that his son is about to return. 
And the message of the hour. You know what the message of the hour right now is in 2022? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. Jesus came the first time as an expression of God's love by dying for the sins of the whole world. But listen to me. When he comes back the second time, he's coming with vengeance and he will pour out the wrath of God on those who have rejected him and his grace. Again, we don't like to hear that. In this day of political correctness and sloppy agape and greasy grace, we don't want to hear about this version of God. But when he comes back, when Christ comes back, he's coming with vengeance. He's coming back to to, to pour out his wrath upon a world that has rejected him and thumbed their nose in his face. And we don't want to hear anything about that. We want the mushy, pansy Jesus. Listen, he came the first time to express God's undying love. Actually, he died for because of his love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son but he's coming back now to right the wrongs you know what the imminent return of Christ is also a warning to us as believers the the the, the malady plaguing the church today is lukewarm Christians and carnal believers it is the malady of the church today and they're being called listen the, if you understand the imminent return of Christ then it is a it is a call to commitment and it is a call to holiness Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, he said, The night is almost gone, and today is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And I love this. He said, Let us behave properly. Man, there's a message that would preach. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. It ought to be a warning. The Bible is filled with signs. The reason I can stand here today and tell you that Jesus is coming is because the Bible is filled with signs and that have warned us for years and years that Jesus is coming. In fact, the Old Testament, they have over 500 prophecies about the second coming of Christ. You go to the New Testament right now, one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament is concerned with the return of Jesus. I would say it's a big deal. We don't, we don't talk about it much anymore in the church. We don't want to think about it anymore in the church. But I'm t And there are actually some churches that teach that the church is going to become more righteous and more influential and that we're actually going to change society. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. One in 25 verses tell us Jesus is coming. And it serves as a warning, a promise, and a hope that Jesus is coming. Here are some of the signs I wanted to... Uh, the reason I backed up and I want to expand on it, I want to give you some of the things because people always like, Pastor, Then you say it all the time, Jesus is coming. How do we know he's coming? Well, he gives us signs. Matthew 24, Jesus lays it all out for us. Some of the signs. Number one, let's talk about the signs of nature. The signs of nature. When you look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, we are told to pay attention to earthquakes, pay attention to famine, pestilence, the other signs in the heaven, I mean, how many of us have recalled seeing some of the uh, reports about these massive locust uh, swarms that swept through some of the uh, East Africa and other places and just obliterated their, their, their production, their farming? That's a sign. And, and a lot of people discount that. We don't think much about it anymore. We just kind of discount it because they'll say things, well, pastor, there's always been natural disasters. There's always been climate issues going on and all this stuff right here. But Jesus said that these signs are like birth pains. Now, guys, we don't know much about that. 
that she had a kidney stone. And then shoot me, Lord, and take me home. <laughs> we don't know much about that. But if you've been there for your wife when they've, had, when they've given birth, you understand that the closer the birthing day is, the more, the more frequent the contractions are and the more intense they are. Jesus said that these signs, the signs of nature, would intensify. So, so again, think about this. If this is the birth pain, then, then all of these things are going incre to become increasingly more frequent, and the intensity will be increased as well as we come near to Jesus' return. In my role as the director of the, in, the North Texas Disaster Ministry, I've seen the destructive force of nature. I was telling the early service, I stood on the streets of Port-au-Prince in 2010 after that massive earthquake leveled that city. And I'll be honest with you, I was speechless. To see such devastation in that city, I absolutely was speechless to see those buildings that had just been reduced to nothing but rubble. And you sit there and you're actually, you, you can't even figure out how to even begin trying to do a, a rescue operation or how to even begin some sort of the, response, the re, disaster response. It, it, what do you do? When every building is leveled, I've also stood in the Bahamas. 2019, I went down with a group of, of architects and engineers. We went to, right after the massive hurricane swept through the Bahamas and destroyed, obliterated Abaco, Freeport. We would go in every day. We, lit, we stayed on, on, on Nassau, and every day we'd have to take a, I call them puddle jumpers, we'd have to take a small plane and land on the rural landing strip so we could go in and assess the damage and start trying to formulate a, a, an action plan to be able to go and help these people. I saw the devastating result of those, of those hurricanes. On Freeport alone, the water was over 10 feet, tall, uh, 10 feet high. On Abaco, they had a, a group of, of Haitian immigrants that were undocumented. And so they don't know how many were there and they don't know how many died, but they do know that there were thousands that when that wave came through that island, it swept through and they drowned. Many of them floated through the, the streets. Sharks, again, I know this is kind of imagery, but I'm saying Jesus said these are signs. Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Katrina, I've worked those. How about last week with Hurricane Ian? Devastated the, the Gulf Coast area there in Florida. You know, God has always dealt with the world, his, the world's sin through, I mean, think about what God did in Noah's time. Remember what he did? He sent a flood. God has always used nature to execute some of his judgment in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, he brought the, the flood to purify the earth. He called the nation of Judah to repentance through a terrible locust invasion, according to Joel chapter 1. He called the nation of Israel to repent by sending drought, windstorms, mildew, locusts, famine, and pestilence. It was the prophet Haggai who pointed out to a drought as evidence that God was calling people to get their priorities right. Again, God has used nature. I mean, think about the New Testament. It begins with a supernatural event. When Jesus was born, guess what? There was a, there was a supernatural phenomenon that appeared in the sky. And that's how the wise men knew. Listen, on that day, Jesus was crucified even. Remember what happened? The Bible says when he hung on that cross and he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, the, the lights went out, darkness covered the place, and the ground shook. I want you to understand that when Jesus comes back, 
and he steps on that Mount of Olives and that thing splits from east to west. There will be an earthquake greater than anything in the history of the world. The Bible says the mountains will be lowered, the valleys will be raised up. God has spoken through the signs of nature. And today we want to, you know, we got man that's looking for all kinds of reasons why you see the intensity in these storms. Have you, have you seen that? They talk about climate change. They talk, listen, there is, there is a group of people, and I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say this. There's a group of people, scientists, that are trying to fabricate fake meat. You seen that? They're trying to come up with fake meat. Plant, yeah, I don't like, I don't use plant-based. I want to eat, if I want plant-based stuff, I'm going to use salad. If you're a vegetarian, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you, I promise you. Just give me a T-bone. <laughs> but, but, but they say that cows are not healthy for the environment. They, put, they pass too much gas, the methane, and they're destroying the world. I'm kidding you not. Man's always trying to find a solution and an answer. But Jesus said, hey, it's a sign. It's a birth pain. It's beginning. Of, how about signs of society? Jesus said that society would become increasingly lawless and immoral as, as we near his approaching. Hello? My goodness, if you would have told me 10 years ago that we would be seeing some of the nonsense that we're seeing right now, I mean, I mean, I mean go ask somebody to define what a woman is. We laugh about that, but I'm telling you, we got some jacked up people in our world right now. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of crazy. Jesus said it's a sign. It's a sign. He said that the evil would become so pronounced that it would be just like the days of Noah. Well, you know what happened to Noah's day? Evil was so prevalent. He said it, he grieved him that he had even made man, and he sent a flood to wipe it out. Second Timothy, Paul writes to his son-in-law Timothy, and he said, Hey, Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. And then he gives us the characterizations of what's gonna, what it's going to be like. It will be characterized by three loves, okay? The love of self. That's humanism, the love of money, that's materialism, and the love of pleasure, that's hedonism. He said those right there would mark the end times. As a result, society is going to wallow in despair as men's minds become depraved. Remember, Romans 1 said God gave them over to a, what? A depraved mind. That's what's happening. That's what's happening right now. People are now calling evil good and good evil. Did you ever think you would see a day when Christians who have been notable for uh, create, you know, founding hospitals and benevolent organizations and serving the needy and doing all the things that the churches do in, in, in the world are now labeled bigots and terrorists and all these other things? Have you ever thought you would see a day like that? Listen, there, there, there's coming a day, and I hate to say this as a veteran, as an American, I hate to say this, but there's coming a day that, that, that what we're doing here could be illegal. And that some of the messages, and again, I, I, I don't have an ax to grind, okay? I just want to preach God, the whole counsel of God's word. But there will be a day when some of the things that I preached will be illegal, and they will come, if I preach it, they will come in here and put me in shackles and take me out of here. You say, it can't happen. Oh, yeah? Watch what's going on. We're seeing the, the degradation of society just like leap years ahead of what we ever thought. Our society is rejecting its Christian heritage 
We're descending into this hellish pit of lawlessness, immorality, and despair. We're seeing it every day. Number three, the signs, spiritual signs. You know that there's are, there are spiritual signs. I told the early service that the, the, the Western gospel cannot be preached in most parts of the world. Every once in a while, I'll kind of get online and I'll kind of serve some people that I know that talk about the prophetic and, you know, call themselves prophet and prophetess. And, and again, I'm, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying I, I kind of look at some things. And here's the thing I've noticed. Here's the trend over the last couple of years. They all tar- start talking about, I prophesy over you today that God's going to give you a million-dollar idea. God's going to give you a million-dollar business. God's going to give you this. God's, and it, and, it, and it all God's going to give you, God's going to give you, God's going to give you. And I'm thinking, but where's the call to repentance? Where's the call to holy living? Where's the call to, to get to, 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 as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Again, when you, there are signs in the in spiritual signs that we need to pay attention to. There's some negative ones and there's some positive ones. The negatives would be things like the appearance of false Christ. How many times have we seen somebody talking about they're the Messiah or, or pointing to a different Messiah? Or we talk about the apostasy of the professing church. We don't talk about that much anymore either. That's why Jesus said not many, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but he who does the will of the Father. That's why narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that follow. Because we convince ourselves that we're more righteous than what we really are. Because we bought into a gospel that's not really the gospel. I mean, how do you preach the American gospel in the streets of Cuba where the average income is less than $2 a day? How do you stand on the streets of Port-au-Prince in the most impoverished nation in the Western Hemisphere and tell them if you make Jesus your choice, you'll drive a Rolls Royce? Doesn't work. Doesn't work. We see the apostasy of the church. We see the church shine away from hard issues. Listen, I've always said this. As long as God gives me a pulse and breath to breathe and a place to preach, I'll declare his word without embarrassment or shame. Because I'm not trying to impress anybody. I want to be faithful to the call so that when we stand before him, nobody will be able to say, why didn't you tell me the truth? There are spiritual signs. As society has secularized, Christianity has become a, a, a hot-button issue of bigotry, of being called bigots and terrorists. Do Judeo-Christian values, once the foundation of Western civilization, are now openly mocked. And those of us who hold to them are now called terrorists and fundamentalists. But you know what? There's some positive things too. Again, these are signs. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 24, verse 14, said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness and then the end comes. You know right now we have more preaching stations than any other time in history. There, there are places that are closed to the gospel, and yet we're finding ways to get the gospel in there. I, I can't say too much about that because we, we stream online, but I'm telling you, with, with technology today, there are things, listen, there, there are ways that we can get messages and the gospel in places that a missionary could not go. We have missionaries that God's calling from all kinds of fields. I, uh, some of you remember years ago, we, we supported a young missionary family that went into a, a nation that had absolutely no Christians in the entire nation. Not one. And the way he was able to get in there was that he had a unique skill that nobody else had. He knew he was a falconer. He hunted with falcons. And they invited him to come to this country not, with not one Christian to teach them and show them how to 
hunt with falcons. How in the world? <laughs> and yet, that's how God got him into a country that would not let believers in the country. You heard Tom Green talk about a couple of weeks ago how that the, the government of Cuba insisted that the fire Bibles that we've been so much involved in were given to every pastor on the island because it wasn't fair if one group got the Bible and other ones didn't. I'm, the gospel of the kingdom. Then we have Joel chapter 2 says that in the last day saith God, I will do what? I will pour out my spirit. On all flesh. He's pouring out. Listen, don't ever get caught up thinking that the activity of the Holy Spirit is only as, as what you can see in the Western church. I'm telling you, around the world, there's revival fires burning. You won't find it on CNN. You won't find it on Fox, MSNBC. But in places like Iran and Iraq and Sudan and Yemen and all these other, and China and all of these other places, there is a revival that is taking place right now in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 that he's pouring out his spirit. It is a sign of the end. It's happening right now. The prophecies that Daniel talks about in chapter 12 that were sealed up until the end, we're now seeing them manifest. Case in point, Ezekiel 37, 38 talks about, uh, talks about Gog and Magog. It talks about, Ezekiel 36 talks about the Valley of Dry Bones. For years and years, we have spiritualized that. We thought it had nothing to do with the nation of Israel, but God gave that word to the prophet Ezekiel. He wrote it down. And nobody ever thought that Israel would become a nation again. But in 1948, May of 1948, Israel became a nation again. It was, it was a fulfillment that all of a sudden these things are being manifest and we're making sense. It's happening. Number, number four, signs of technology. I know we love to hate technology. But I've got people right now that are tuned in in Africa watching. And some probably throughout the world will be tuning in sometime this week. Technology is an incredible thing. The book of Daniel, again, chapter 12, says that at the end time, there will be an explosion of knowledge. You know that little device you carry in your hand? You can get on Google and you can, you can diagnose any malady that you have. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could. <laughs> Dr. Google. You could ask that about how a refrigerator works, and within just a matter of a couple nanoseconds, you've got, you've got three million hits on how a refrigerator works. Knowledge is increased exponentially. Not only that, but Daniel also says that it, towards the end, people would move about quickly. Quickly. Do you know how long it used to take to get from one side of the country to the other? Back in the horse and buggy days, months. Today we can hop in the car. I don't advise that. I hate driving. But you can hop in a car and probably, anybody ever driven cross country? What, about a week? Uh, I don't want to ride with you then. Two days across 3,000 3, miles. <laughs> Actually, maybe I do. I like that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you think about it. If you're driving, I don't drive 55, so I would sing that Sammy Hagar song. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, it would take you. But if you got on a plane... You know what? We could be there in about four hours from coast to coast. When we left, our team left London last week as we had our layover in London and flew home. London is about 6,000 miles away. We get on the plane, and within 10 hours, we're sitting on the ground in Dallas. That's a fulfillment of Scripture. Again, we minimize these things, but that's what the Bible predicted, that in the end times, knowledge is going to explode and, and people are going to move about. How about the signs in politics? i got to hurry. How about the signs in world politics? 
The Bible says that in the last day, there would be an alignment of nations and world politics, a geopolitical uh, climate of our world. It shifted. I said it last week when I was in the military. Everything that we did was always about a European scenario, Western Bloc, Eastern Bloc, and then now all of a sudden it shifted in 1989 when the wall came down, and it shifted to the Middle East. The geopolitical center of the world is not Europe, it's not Asia, it is the Middle East. That's where it started, that's where it will end. And today we see the alignment of nations getting everything right. Talk about the aligning of Russia and China and Europe and the Middle East. All of these things are signs. He said there will be wars and rumors of wars, civil unrest, terrorism, lawlessness. When Israel became a nation again in 1948, the prophetic clock of God began to speed up. We saw these things taking place. Today, we have ISIS to contend with. We have a coalition of Russia, Iran, Iraq, and other Middle Eastern partners. And again, that is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 and 38. Israel, once again, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and they're being ostracized. The UN, which is probably one of the most worthless organizations there is, the UN is passing things against Israel. People are lining up in opposition against Israel. The crisis over the Middle East, the crisis over the oil, the old Roman Empire being uh, uh, reactivated through the European Union. Again, we're seeing these things. Islam is growing uh, at an alarming rate. More Christians today are being persecuted. All of these things are signs. Do you know there are more people dying for their faith today than any other time in church history? More people are dying today because of Jesus Christ than any other time in church history. Whether we want to hear it or not, Jesus is coming. Whether we want to believe it or not, Jesus is coming. We have to be prepared for him. Let me, let me give you something that is fresh off the press. How many of you know what happened on September the 26th and 27th of this, of this uh, year? Anybody? Remember? Let me remind you. In, you know, you got the thing going on with Ukraine. And, and on September the 26th, uh, Nord Stream pipeline from Russia to Europe most people say it was sabotaged and it was it was it was blown up destroyed so and then Nord Stream 1 so both of their pipelines major pipelines that were taking oil and gas from from Russia which has always been Putin's uh, plan is to be the dominant provider of those resources now it can't happen they're, they're, they have no time frame of when those things would be pre uh, prepared so so you've got a whole continent Europe that can't get adequate oil and gas to provide for them during the winter. So where are they going to get the necessary oil and gas to function during the winter? Well, guess what? Just not long ago, Israel found a huge deposit of natural gas off the coast in the Mediterranean. Just so happened. So now Europe is turning to Israel to be able to get their gas and oil to provide for their families. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Ezekiel 38, God says this, I will put a hook in your, in your jaw and I will draw you down. Could this very well, today, think about it, could this be the hook that God uses to hook it, Russia and bring them down to the Middle East where they will ultimately meet their demise. Again, I, I don't know. I'm just saying if you look at what's going on, there are signs all around us that tell us that Jesus Christ is coming. Listen, we should be excited about it. We should be excited. Don't dig into this world because this world is not our home. We are citizens of, a, of another country. And the quicker we grab hold of this truth, the better our lives will be. So how do we... 
what, what should we, be, in light of this fact, what should we be doing? Well, again, Paul writes, and I'll read it to you again. Guys, come on back. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write anything to you. He said, for you know, fully aware, fully, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Okay? He said, while people are saying there's peace and safety, he said, sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness. Everybody say, I'm not in darkness. You're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, you're not going to be caught off guard. God has given us warnings that he's coming. He said, you're not in darkness, for you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, so let us not sleep. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be sleeping. But let us wake up and be sober. But then he goes on. I didn't read this. I'll read it to you now. He goes on and says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, listen, this sets up my sermon next week. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's what we should be doing. So there are five things in closing that we need to do. Number one, we need to be expectant. I, 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 let, me, let me change the word. We should be excited. Anticipate. Listen, I, I, I want to plan like I'm going to be here forever, but I would love for the Lord to come back before we have lunch. I want to live with that reality. Listen, Paul in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he said, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant, or I don't want you to be uninformed. Listen, we should live with eternity in mind and allow it to shape how we relate to the world around us. Number two, we need to be faithful. Everybody say faithful. We need to be faithful. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, 25 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without, I love this, without wavering. Don't buy into this nonsense that you're hearing about the church and, and, and all. Don't wave the flag. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. I love what he said, for he is faithful who promised. Remember what he promised? He said, I'm going away. And if I go to prepare, I'm coming back. And I'm going to, try to, I'm going to receive you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. That's a promise. He says, for he is faithful who promised. Then he goes on, and let us consider one another. Have you done that lately? Have you considered one another? Without, uh, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And then he says this, and not forsake. Everybody say forsake. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see that day approaching. The answer is not less church, less involvement, less fellowship. He said, when you see the signs of the time, that should trigger you to do more. Come together more. Build the relationships more. Listen, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Number three, we need to be holy. We need to be holy. First John 3 says, Beloved, now are, we, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, listen to what he said here in verse 3, and every man who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. And there's the, there's the motive for talking about prophecy. If I have this hope in me, 
I purify myself. Number four, we need to be busy. Busy. Jude 21 and 23 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Listen, that's why Jesus left the church here. Listen, if he wanted us to be in heaven like that, he would have just, every time we convert, we'd go right to heaven. He didn't do that. That's why he gave us Matthew chapter 28. says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Why? Because we need to be busy about the Father's business. Because one day, we, it's, it's, we got time now. It's still daylight. But the night is coming when no man can work. We must work. And number five, we need to be patient. How many have an issue with patience besides me? Mine tends to do pretty well, except behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, see, some of you relate to that. Well, maybe in a, in a fast food line that doesn't move fast. You ever have one of those moments? I mean, can you really call it a fast food line if it's 20 minutes sitting there? <laughs> see, some of, you, some of you know exactly where I'm coming from. <laughs> but we have to be patient. James chapter 5, be patient. It's a declarative statement. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband when waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Let me ask you, have you established your heart? Have you settled your heart? Listen, it's not time to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Have you settled your heart? Are you all in? Listen, I promise you, I, I've got a sermon I need, to, I need to finish. I started years ago entitled Games People Play. So many games that we play. And, and here's the thing. We play games with him, but we're only fooling ourselves. You, you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't be lukewarm. Remember what he said about a lukewarm, a lukewarm church? He said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Listen, be patient. Wait on the coming of the Lord. That's why Peter says, hey, there are going to be people, and I'm sure you've heard them too, that said, hey, you've been telling me Jesus is coming, and he's not come back, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I don't believe he's coming. Well, you know what? Hang on to that hope and patience. Because if every 333 specific prophecies about the first coming all came to pass, every single one will come to pass about the second coming. He's coming. He's coming. I want you to stand with me this morning. Listen, I came to tell you today, Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's coming. And in view of that coming, we should be ready. We should be excited. We should live with anticipation. I fear sometimes that we become, the Western believers become bored. You know, some of these, and again, I, I, I hesitate to compare, and I don't really mean to compare but some of these believers in places like Cuba and Haiti, and they, they don't have what we have. We're a blessed people. I can run out of this air-conditioned building if I want to, jump in my car with air condition, ride home and jump out of my air-conditioned car, run into my air-conditioned house and never have to sweat. I'm spoiled. I don't like what I cook for dinner. I can run down to the store and get something else. I'm spoiled. Most places anticipate the coming of the Lord because they know that what he's prepared is so much better 
than anything this world can offer. Are you excited about his return? Is that a longing of your heart? If it's not, I'm going to say it, and I don't mean to sound rude, but repent. Repent. Our hope is not in a better America. It's not in a better global political situation. Our hope is a place that he's gone to prepare for those who long for his appearing. Won't you bow with me this morning across the building, online this morning? And and I, I just want to ask that question. Is the return of the Lord the longing of your heart? Is that the anticipation, the excitement? Have you lost that fervor? Have, you know, the, Jesus talked about the cares of life, choking out the word. Has the cares of life choked out the blessed hope of the church? If so, having asked the Lord to renew your hope today, how do we live pure in an impure world? How do we, how do we live as overcomers in a world that's trying to overcome us? We hang on to the hope of heaven. It's not an escapist mindset. It's a reality Jesus has given to us as a promise. He said, don't you dare fear those who can kill the body. He said, you pay attention to the one that can steal your soul. Nobody looking around this morning, anybody here say, Pastor, you know what, pray for me. I've I've allowed the cares of life to get so caught up in my my daily existence that I, I I truly haven't thought much about the coming of the Lord. You know, you're talking about some of the signs, and, and I see what you see, and I, I just never really thought much about it. I've got my whole life planned out. I've got all the things I want to do in life, and I, I've never really given a lot of thought about the return of the Lord. I, I want him to light a fire in me. I want him to light a fire in me. I, I want to be excited. I want that excitement to cause me to live with, with, with the overcoming victory that he's provided. I want that knowledge that he's coming to propel me to be a a witness to those around me that Jesus is coming because when we when he's when he comes church that's it we no longer can fulfill Matthew 28 nobody looking around this morning anybody here say pastor you know what pray for me I I've allowed the cares of life to weigh me down to where I haven't thought much about the return of the Lord that you just, and if you're online, if you'll comment, if that's you, how about you slip your hand right, right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray. The pastor, you know what? I, there's some things in my heart I need to, I, I want the fire to burn again, the excitement and the joy again about the return of the Lord. I want to be ready. I want to anticipate and be excited about the return of the Lord. Tell you what, here's what I want to do. I want us to sing. And if you're here this morning and say, you know what? I want, Lord, I want you to renew me. I want, you to, I want you to blow fresh upon me with, a, with a, the pneuma, the pneuma of the Spirit of God. I want you to blow upon me one more time. Ignite. Ignite me to be excited and thrilled and hopeful about the return of the Lord. While we sing, if that's you, I, I, I just want you to come down and just lift your hands up to it, however you want to do it. Just come down and say, Lord, it's me. I, I stand in need of prayer. I want you to do something in me today. Let me get excited about your return. Because the way that he loves 
Samuel Elton, if you get, come on now. Lord, I need you to blow upon me again. Come on, Lord. Get me excited. Fill me with hope and joy. something you can change? Just like Lazarus out of that grave. God rewrites history. Jesus, you change everything. When you pour your spirit out, just like Silas singing with Paul, please can break down prison walls. Jesus, you can have it all. Won't you pour your spirit out? Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. You can rest in his presence. You can trust in his name. Cause his burden is easy. And he's perfect in his ways. You can run to the Father. There's no reason to wait. Cause his arms have been open. And that's not something you can change. Just like Lazarus out of that grave. God rewrites history. Jesus, you change everything. When you boil your Watch the dogs. 
Hey, brother. Brother Dan, let me ask you something. Brother Dan. Thank you, brother Dan, right here. Let me ask you a question. Why, why do you do what you do at 88 years of, old, of age? Because he's coming. Because he's coming. Listen. I met this man, I don't know how many years ago, Brother Dan, maybe 25 years ago. Retired military, corporate America, retired. Had a passion for lost people. I met him in Honduras. Fellow North Texan. How many years ago did you start going to Romania? About 24 years ago, had a burden for lost people in Romania. Started going over there, planting churches, feeding programs. Still going at 88 years of age because Jesus is coming and there are people that need to hear. He's going to go back over there in December. Because Jesus is coming. That's what the present reality of Jesus is coming will do. It'll motivate us when, when anybody his age, and I'm not, please don't, don't read between the lines, but I marvel at a man that is so convinced that Jesus is coming that when it would be easy to sit home and watch Andy Griffith, he and his wife Faye are traveling overseas because there's somebody that needs to hear that Jesus is coming. Church, don't lose that enthusiasm. Don't lose that hope. Don't lose that excitement. Because you know what? When that trumpet sounds and we're taken up, we'll, have a, we'll never have another chance to tell anybody about Jesus. Let us work while it is day because the night comes when no man can work. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, let the hope of heaven fill our hearts. Let it fill our hearts with joy and peace and confidence that no matter what we see around us and how difficult the days are, it cannot take that hope of eternity with you out of us. Lord, you promised us that you've gone to prepare, and if you've gone, you'll come back. That is our hope, and that is our anchor. I pray that that hope in us purifies us, causes us to live godly in this ungodly world. Help us to live properly right now while we wait for and expect your soon return. Father, may that be our motivation, and may that be the key to revival, that we start being convinced that you're coming back, and what we do, we need to do now. I ask you to go with us now and let that hope of heaven just motivate us every single moment of this week. I pray, Lord, as we go into our time of fellowship, Lord, bless the food, bless the fellowship. Lord, you said as we see that day approaching, not forsake these assemblings. Let us come together, worship together, build one another up in these closing hours. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I'll see you next time. God bless you and I love you. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Bless the Lord. Do it just as you see. Not watch the door swing wide open. 
Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. you can't hide from grace cause the way that he loves you isn't something you can change just like Lazarus how did that great our God rewrites history Jesus you change 